Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Jews have been in that area of the world since about 1200 BC, way before the first Muslim or Arab walked the earth, a thousand years before. Specialized high schools in New York City used to be significantly black and Hispanic. The black and Hispanic population at these schools just dissipated. This is because the New York City public school system for Blacks and Hispanics has dramatically failed its own population. Interesting. One of my earliest memories is having a show and tell in preschool about going to the voting booth and uh, pulling the lever for Ronald Reagan. I mean, it's not my first time being an opponent in, in Boston. You know, hopefully we can just keep it strictly basketball. You know, there's no belligerence or any racism going on, subtle racism and people yelling from the crowd. <laughs> ah, hello, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the long weekend. We enjoyed the long weekend. As Kamala Harris put it, uh, enjoy the long weekend. <laughs> Joe Biden went out for ice cream, but optics are no longer a thing. Insensitivity is no longer a thing with the Biden White House. We know this. Those are all gone. All of those uh, standards are out the window. But uh, that's not where we're going. Where we are going to dwell today. It wasn't a good long weekend for Kyrie Irving. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But Alice and I had uh, today for us is Monday. So today is Memorial Day. A day we call Memorial Day in our house still. Exactly. And um, we were out today in Exeter, New Hampshire, checking out the uh, parade and then the uh, Memorial Day service. Hold on. Listen to this. The guys, the guys, the bugle corps, and the guys with the with the guns, the twenty one gun salute people. Right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were close to them, about twenty feet away from those guys, and I knew it would be loud. I didn't realize it would be that loud, but it's very interesting. You hear one of our kids here just talking. We we're trying to get them to shut up. Oh yeah, during the they ceremony, they shut up because they've <laughs> they've all now got concussions from the sh- sound of the guns. Nothing gets kids to shut up like a twenty one gun salute. 
No more kid sons. <laughs> They're all alive, I promise you. They weren't in front of the guns. It was not a firing squad. So uh, so that was a nice event in Exeter, New Hampshire. Unfortunately... Our town and many towns around here yeah, opted th- for virtual events. But, but also, unfortunately, in Exeter, New Hampshire, we're, all the kids were cold because all none of them, half of them refused to wear any more than one piece of clothing. And so uh, we went to get them... Let the record show as we exited our house and walked into the driveway. I said, it's pretty cold. Mm-hmm. Does everyone have a sweatshirt? And our son, who was in short sleeves, went, it's not cold. It's great. I'm warm. I'm fine. Yeah. It's more <laughs> important for him to be defiant than warm. So um, so there was a little cafe that said that where you could go and... Uh, and um, get hot chocolate, so I tried mm-hmm. to go in, but it was there was they required masks in there, which mm-hmm. is too bad because New Hampshire threw away the mask mandate a long time ago, and um, but it was still fun. It was a good, I was kicked out of a store today. Yes, this is an important thing because this is a this is the closest store to us. Right, this is like our town mm-hmm. little so town, market. Our town has one business that sells things. <laughs> And this is it. Well, other than like farms and... And Alice Shattuck was 86th out of there this morning. Not pleased about it. How far are you going to take this, Alice? Not far. If they don't have my business, that's fine. Market Basket takes my unmasked business all day long. So So I went there and patronized them to the tune of $30 worth of ice cream sandwiches and popsicles, which is what my kids wanted. So they lost out, which that's their prerogative. It's a free country. I'm not one of these people... Who's like, this is against the law. You're discriminating against my disability where I'm unable to wear a mask. I'm not going to do... I don't care. If you want to... Yeah, you seem not to care. I don't... Well, <laughs> I, it's not that. It's just that so, uh, I'm not going to go so like demand that they take me. If they don't want my business, then fine. I'll go somewhere else. Jesus. Anyway. Subtle so, passive aggressiveness. I walked in. Not wearing a mask because I don't wear a mask anymore because the mask mandates were lifted. And they said, do you have a mask you can put on? And I said, no, I don't. I threw away my mask because there's no more mask mandate. And they said, well, we ask that you wear one in here. And I said, okay. And I walked out. That was all. That was all that happened. Yeah. (laughs) So is this going to be a... So what is the new dictate for the kids? This is the market that they love that's right down the street. It's a little family-owned or whatever, privately owned place. It's. I'm I'm not trying to build it up. It's mm-hmm. in general, uh, uh, the facade is in disrepair, and to the point where we think it's like an elaborate stick it to the town right. for being and, a nice town that they're on purpose looking terrible. But. Yes, and um, it's seventy three times more expensive than the market basket, but it's convenient. But it's there. All right, so Alice. So the kids do like to walk down there and buy stuff. Well, are those days over? What says? Well, I guess so. Uh oh. I mean, but. Like I told well, they don't the have kids, masks, right? They don't have masks, so because I threw all our masks out. Um, but I don't, you know, it, they're going to eventually not require masks, so the it will be fine at some point. It's just going to take them a so little this, bit longer is there, to is feel there a family-wide embargo on the store right now? It's not an embargo. They don't want us, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have masks, so they don't want us. So that's You're, fine. If they decide they want us back, they can let us know that they'll. How take will us. they let us know? <laughs> Do you want a personal visit? Yes, I want hat in hand. <laughs> I mean, eventually, people are going to not be wearing masks. 
So, and they'll get tired of asking people, I assume, once it becomes normal to not wear masks. Massachusetts is down, I just checked today, to a 0.66% positivity rate on tests, which is the lowest it's ever been since we started doing COVID tests. I got to say, Elsa, I'm really surprised that place has is doing the mask thing. Because that place, in the morning, there's like a like a, a dozen like grizzled old Boston Herald mm-hmm. readers, guys who probably worked for a living retired now. It just doesn't seem none of the progressives in town would ever go there because of the aesthetic of the place. Right. It, just, unless it were the only thing, which right. it is. I am just, I'm really shocked that they've got a mask mandate in there. That it doesn't seem like they're. It's probably, game. you know what I think it is, is it's probably because the like beautiful people, like the moms that want to shop in there, probably want them to wear masks. They've probably looked around at their market and said, enough of these people wouldn't come here if everybody took their masks off. That, But people are going to get used to going to Market Basket. Market Basket today and yesterday when I went was like 80% not masked. Mm-hmm. And the employees, it was like 95%. I Market mean, Basket's a big all, grocery store around here. Yeah, that's like a, stop, a normal grocery store. Um, but it's, you know, all... Nobody's wearing masks. None of the employees practically are wearing masks anymore. And the vast majority of the clientele are not wearing masks. So, right. At this point, what are we doing? I mean, so, what? right. So, but I mean, people will get used to that. And eventually, there will be enough places where people aren't wearing masks where they'll just be used to not wearing it, where the majority of people are going to start walking into the local market not wearing a mask and they'll get sick of asking every Isn't single person to put on a mask. It, it just It's just going to be a thing where How it's indicative, else do you think of voting habits are those masks? Because Exeter, New Hampshire today, that is Super probably- indicative. And you know all the people that have mm-hmm. them on are all vaccinated too. Right. It, but, but <laughs> Nobody we, but, who's but, not but vaccinated is we were in Salem, New Hampshire one. at Ralphie's for Tripe, mm-hmm. which I just finished the rest of, um, there was one guy in there with the mask on. Right, and there was about a hundred people without masks. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I don't. I don't really know. I know that the people when I know that there's animosity. I can mm-hmm. tell you that. De- definitely, the mask wearers don't like the non-mask wearers, and the non don't the non-mask wearers um, have disdain for the mask wearers. <laughs> and assign, and I do it too, I assign all sorts of attributes to these people I've never met before. Or they're, they're bastards by the time I'm done with them, even though I pass mm-hmm. them for a nanosecond in the uh, serial So, uh, a tiny bit of a scoop for you. Ooh. Our uh, softball coach of our team was spotted hiking in Vermont sans mask this weekend. Really? Yeah. Somebody saw their family. They're big mask people. They're- Is that true? Yeah, they're they're pro mask. They're the same people that had the pumpkin out that said vote on Halloween. Oh, oh, they're nice so, people, but uh, they're they're very nice, but they're but very they pro mask. He, he just follows the rules or or, mm-hmm. or, or some pressure, yeah. or whatever. But they were spotted sans masks, so even they are in at least some circumstances now not wearing masks. Yeah. So that's that's a good sign. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. We were in the old salt today. In the mm-hmm. Old Salt Restaurant in, in Hampton, a, I in believe. Hampton, New Hampshire, which great place. I will be get, that is a staple for me right now. I will be, go, be going back there just for the look and feel of the place. I don't even yeah. remember what the food tasted like. I'm sure it was great, but but uh, but uh, yeah, the moment I got there, I scouted it out first, and the wait staff was waiting. They were just about to open, and I said, "Are you open?" And they said, "Yes." They were all wearing masks. And I said, "Oh, do we, you do you, should I be throwing a mask on?" And the guy said, "No, there's no mask mandate in New Hampshire. Come on in." So there you go, just a mask uh, update for you. 
right now, it's interesting. Of course, this is the weekend now. Right now is Memorial Day. You might be listening to Tuesday morning. And there's still going to be trouble on Tuesday morning because the news cycle has come to ground to a halt. So the locally in Massachusetts, the big news is probably Kyrie Irving, the former Boston Celtic, who last week caused a controversy. This always happens every year with one or two sports stars. They mm-hmm. say something like this. This is what Kyrie said last week. I mean, it's not my first time being an opponent in, in Boston. Uh, so, you know, I'm just looking forward to competing with my teammates. And, um, you know, hopefully we can just keep it strictly basketball. You know, there's no belligerence or any racism going on, subtle racism and people yelling shit from the crowd. Um, but even if it is, it's, it's part of the nature of the game. And we're just going to focus on what we can control. Is it something you've experienced in Boston before? I'm not the only one that could attest to this, but it's just, you know, it, it won't. It, <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. It's this whole, this ongoing narrative that Boston is a really racist city. The most racist city in America. And of course, Boston and right across the river in Cambridge, these are huge progressive liberal bastions. Right. Huge. But these sports stars play here. They hear things. That I just don't think if you if they suggest that they get that people shout racist stuff at them or subtle racism as he's saying I don't know that that means he just gets a feeling. It's I don't racist. think that means the n word. Like people right. say they've heard the n word in Fenway Park. Uh, right. If they people said they it, uh, another sports guy said that he heard kids chanting the n word a couple years ago, <laughs> which would have been known immediately, especially in the era of cell phones, that would not have been accepted. The the Boston crowd. Uh, is not a crowd of racist people. You are more likely called out and flogged for looking at somebody the wrong way if it, it appears that you're doing something racist than anything. The pro- the thing yeah, is, I is wouldn't wear a these... MAGA hat into that crowd. Oh that's no, for sure. Oh no. As a matter of fact, somebody unfurled a MAGA uh, poster or MAGA thing last year, and they immediately grabbed it right up, and it was like, it's funny. And at the time, I may, might even mention it. It might have been an earlier burn barrel. All the news accounts of it uh, never. It didn't mention that a MAGA uh, banner was unfurled, just that it was thrown away. So, really, the news could have been, wow, it was unfurled, because that's a thing. Mm-hmm. But no, no, it was thrown away. Trump thing. We got away. it. We got it, yep. Took care of it. It's so, gone, people. But this idea that, that Boston is uh, is this racist place, if, if Boston is a really racist city, then there's no racism. And maybe that's what it is, you know, because that could be. there is not... I I can't find any. I spent a lot of time in Boston, and I can't find any actually working racists. Now, if you want to talk about, like, bigoted people, I've known dudes from Southie, etc., from everywhere. When you work in a hotel, some the black guys are giving a guy an East guy's crap who would give the Asian guys crap who would give the black guys crap who would give the white guys crap. The stuff that they called me, I can't even possibly start to begin to tell you the stuff they called me. I didn't give a crap, but it was certainly... Uh, um, certainly, uh, what's it called? What's anti-homosexual? Homophobic. It was certainly homophobic. <laughs> what if I'm not gay, though? I, I can, it's still homophobic. It still is? Yeah. But, oh, man. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was just guys giving each other bleep, you know? Mm-hmm. But all these guys were fine and would smoke together. And it didn't matter. But this, but, so there you go. So, so, let me get back on track. So, that's Kyrie <laughs> Irving last week. 
The Globe writes this big thing saying we better be on our best behavior when Kyrie Irving comes in here. Try not to be racist, everybody. Exactly. We know it's hard for you. Exactly. We've done it. You know, it, There's nothing more that sports fans like to do in Boston than spend $180 on playoff tickets, if that's what this is. I don't know if it is. Is it, is it playoff time? I don't know. We, Alice and I don't follow uh, the Celtics. Sports. Or sports at all. <laughs> But I can tell you, I know it's not baseball playoff time. I don't know if what basketball playoff time is. I could care less. I could get you could give me year round uh, courtside seats to the Celtics, and I would not attend one game. Um, Your son's getting interested in baseball, though. You should right. maybe take him to a baseball game. We're going to we're going to do that. Okay. Not to be the 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 Red Stockings, though. Perhaps it could be somebody else. Maybe the old uh, yard goats. Maybe the yard goats. You know. So. Um, so, so that happens. The Globe implores people to try to contain their inner racism just for one night. So uh, the first night, I think they did contain the racism. <laughs> then came yesterday, and yesterday, so Kyrie at one point in the game, as they're shuffling around, stomps on the Celtics logo. Logo. Now, Kyrie is also, and I only get this from Jerry Callahan, where I'll be tomorrow morning, Tuesday. Uh, he's supposedly a, a, hot, a hothead. And is sensitive to taunts from the crowd, etc. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're if you're a basketball player and you're sensitive to taunts, and the crowd finds out, well, good luck. You know, it's it's going to be relentless. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, so <laughs> of course, because we're us. Uh, last night at the end of the game, end of the game or the half, some dude chucked a a water bottle at Kyrie. Yeah, I've seen like a Dasani bottle, not like a. Uh, don't you Yeti s- bottle or something? Okay, I was going to say not like one from the water cooler. Yeah, that would be attempted murder, I think. <laughs> uh, but so so anyway, so now that's the uh, that's the worst thing in the world. Of course, this dude is some twenty one year old idiot named what like Brock. I forget what his name name is, but yeah. Holt. But anyway, Klingon, he's banned for white life guy from in the a Celtics jersey. He looks apart. <laughs> if you want to find somebody who looks racist, just from the or looks the part of the people who want to call him racist would want him to look. He looks yeah, like a that. racist Boston right. sports fan. Probably plastered, hugs mm-hmm. the bottle. He's laughing as the cops are cuffing him and bringing him out of there. Yeah, he's they also t- had to break up a fight too, apparently, and drag a bunch of people out of there. A bunch of people got plastered and had a fight. Yeah, it's probably some guy not, was going like, not, um, I had to pay $40 for a ticket. I'm not leaving. <laughs> and the cops said, yeah, you're leaving. So Yeah, that's a lot of that's probably par for the course. Um, and I think it's especially because you know, people haven't been out, so they're a little overexcited to be yeah, back at the garden out, drinking. But also, and... You're right. And yeah, of course. They're out. On the bright side of that, though, I did hear that people were getting like $2,000 a night in tips working really? at the garden. Yeah. That's great. So there you go. So this guy, I got to find his name. Kyrie. Kyrie. You know what? Turtle Boy had something on it. This guy chucks the bottle at him. Turtle Boy. I don't know. Turtle Boy keeps getting banned from everything, so I never know <laughs> which one is his actual turtle. Turtle Boy Sports. There we go. So this dude, Cole Buckley, Braintree man, son of a doctor, prep school graduate, URI frat boy, environmental enthusiast who gave Ky- Ky- Kyrie Irving exactly what he wanted by throwing a bottle at his, at his head. So probably not a racist if he's an environmental activist, yeah, I'm pr- guessing. He's just an a-hole, a probably. But of course it's going to be considered a racist event because mm-hmm. this guy's white and Kyrie is black. And yeah. whites and blacks can't can't interact without there being all sorts of racial elements at play, according to the people who uh, make the uh, societal rules rules on this horse bleep. Uh, 
I don't know if this what's in this kid's heart. He's probably a drunk idiot. The Boston Garden or whatever it's called, TD Bank Garden or the Shamit Center or whatever it's called now, uh, well, it has say- had a history of mm-hmm. having hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of drunkards behaving badly through the years. That is uh, just par for mm-hmm. the course. But anyway, now he's done it. Now Kyrie uh, was asked about it. It's unfortunate, you know, that sports has come to a lot of this uh, – you know, kind of crossroads where you're seeing a lot of old ways come up. It's been part of like, it's been part of that. It's been that way in history in terms of entertainment performers and sports for a long period of time of just underlying racism. Underlying, underlying. You know, there's a, a, I don't want to step into a trope here, but there are a lot of black people playing basketball in the pros. I would say that's an accurate statement. Right. On its face. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of competition between teams, between cities, and, uh, you know, a, a fire, fiery, um, what's it called when you have rivalries? Mm-hmm. And so you're going to, there are going to be negative things said on the court about. The players. Some of those players are going to be black. Mm-hmm. Statistically speaking, right. it's almost an impossibility so, never to have any basketball fan right. criticize a black player. You suck to Kyrie <laughs> is not underlying racism. <laughs> it's just something mean to say to the other team's guy who you're trying to rattle. Right. So for him to say we've reached the crossroads. No, I don't know that this is the crossroads. And just treating people like they're in a human zoo. You know, throwing stuff at people, saying things, you know. Hey, they were throwing stuff at people. He's right about mm-hmm. that. There's a certain point where it just gets to be too much. So, you know, I, I called it out. I just wanted to keep it strictly basketball. And then you just see that people just feel very entitled out here. You know, they pay for the tickets. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that they're coming in to watch um, a great performance. But it, it's just, you know, we're not at the theater. We're not throwing tomatoes and, and other random stuff at the people that are performing. You know, it's just... It's too much, and it's a reflection on um, you know us as a whole when you have fans acting like that. So you know, hopefully, people learn their lessons from being banned for however many years of being arrested. But you know, there's always going to be an occasion. So I don't think Kyrie needs to make a civil rights case out of this. Mm-hmm. I think Cole Buckley's an a hole, and sports have been full of a holes yeah. historically. From now- one of the first educations I ever got. Mm-hmm. As a young man, when my dad had season tickets to the Sox, was watching a holes on parade, right. drunkards in fights and horrible things said to people. Mm-hmm. I saw a couple of people go one time. This woman in Fenway went after Reggie Jackson in the field. He's a black guy. She was a white woman. Um, I saw people go after um, was it either uh, Jim Rice, also a black guy. Um, but you know the entire Yankees team. I've, I've just been so much bad behavior. But this happens in sports. It happens a little less so, I think, at Fenway, at least these days. Uh, it's funny. It seems to me that, at least in my lifetime of following the news about Fenway and the Red Sox, that uh, the most anger seems to be directed at our own players, <laughs> frankly. Like, the whole, like, chicken in the dugout, the fried chicken mm-hmm. stuff, and the... Right, that's a good who point. Who was the player who Chatting. was... Oh, couldn't... 
pitch and people were yelling at him because he'd been golfing and he had like pulled a muscle and they were yelling four from behind. <laughs> that sounds the- <laughs> so Red Sox. Was that Josh Beckett maybe? I don't- maybe. I forget who. He was but in- it seems to me that the most anger in Fenway mm-hmm. is reserved for Red Sox players. Yeah. It, by the way, let the record show. It, oh, two things. One, this kid's obviously needed. But in two, Red Sox fans, and this is what Kyrie's problem is, he has a thin skin. Mm-hmm. Re- Boston fans are a-holes. Right. They're up there with Philly and New York. They're really, if you're from a nice part of the country and you come up to Boston, the the fans are absolute jerks. It's very fun when, Actually, you're, when you're part of it. New Englanders are kind of jerks in general if you come from other parts of the country. Well, totally. You had in the in the early 2000s, at a quiet, inconsequential Celtics or Bruins game, the crowd would erupt to the chant of Yankees suck, <laughs> even though it had nothing to do with the Yankees. But it was such a, a, a common linked spirit of animus that people couldn't contain themselves. And I thought that period was fantastic because it was I was a young man and I was an a-hole then like a lot of the other, like this guy, like uh, Cole, Cole Buckley. Buckley. But um, once every once in a while, of course, you do have the fa- the the team having enough of it. Like mm-hmm. uh, Ron Artest went into the crowd, or the Bruins, I think in '79 versus somebody will know the Islanders, maybe, mm-hmm. and somebody threw a shoe at one of the players, and he went up there, or somebody threw something at one of the players, and the entire team went into the stands and beat the crap out of the fans, <laughs> including ripping some guy's shoe off and beating him over the head with it. <laughs> it was really it's excellent video. It's excellent video. <laughs> But so that's it. So this will be the big thing since it's a slow news cycle tomorrow, starting from scratch. The Kyrie stuff will be pretty big. I don't think it has to, Alice. Now I stepped in. Yeah, but wait. So Mm -hmm. I want to just say that had he wanted to, Kyrie Irving could have made a broader point about sports fandom and what we expect from sports stars to you know, be in this bubble and, you know, constantly be available and be criticized and, you know, this sort of way that we treat famous people like they're in a zoo and like they're monkeys. And I mean, I should shy away from the monkey term, but that's, I think, where he was leaning with the being in a zoo, that Mm -hmm. that's racist. But I think that it has to do with how we treat famous people and sports stars in general, right? Yeah, but we don't yell at the animals in the zoo. (laughs) Maybe you do. (laughs) Maybe some jerks do. But but so I think it's interesting because the other big sports story. Losing your mind at the wombat. The other big sports story that's been out here. Have you heard about this? Is Naomi Osaka um, quitting the French Open? Yeah. So And it's because she decided not to do the media availabilities because she said this is like we're forced to do these media availabilities to be in the tournament. It's like so much pressure. It's not good for our mental health, the players, to like be available to this kind of like questioning and antagonistic treatment by the media constantly you know we're trying to play it's not good for our mental health and somebody who's big enough has to say no this stops here and just accept the fines and not do the availabilities so she said she wasn't doing the media availabilities she got fined fifteen thousand dollars i think and Mm -hmm. then but now they're saying she can't play in the French Open at all because she won't do the media availabilities. So and and you know Piers Morgan is mad at her. He says, you know, this is the price of fame. You want the good, take the bad. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like trying to tie it to Megan, I think, which I think at some point like he just wants attention too. Like, 
Uh, but he to, makes a point. I agree with him. Mm-hmm. So, but but I think she has a fair point too. You know, like why are athletes like required to constantly be on and like we demand their constant? You know, well, they don't have to be on. They, they just have to be just, there. So, for instance, like mm-hmm. if you watch, first, first of all, John McEnroe wasn't on a lot of times, but you know that only made him more interesting. But if you watch, so for for the. Um, they just have to be there. Like Bill Belichick goes out there every day and is an a-hole to the mm-hmm. press. He hates it. He wears it on his sleeve. I love it watching him go after them. I think it's very enjoyable and I enjoy. <laughs> and I've, you know, I've asked Bill Belichick a question. I've asked him twice. I've talked to him in media. And that's mm-hmm. Super Bowl media day where they put the guys in a little steel box. Right. And they're surrounded by thousands of people. Some of them shock jocks and out there out looking to punk the, the athletes mm-hmm. and you know just screwing with them etc and these guys have to take it for an hour they just it it's none stop and yeah. but but that's the deal I mean, obviously the, so but the, i think that's the, like a more interesting point than Kyrie irving saying oh this is just boston being racist you know it, it to me that's a more interesting conversation is like, is it right that we ask people who just happen to be really good at playing a sport that we ask them to perform under these circumstances and that we stick them in a little box and scream questions at them for an hour? Like, is this an appropriate way to treat people just because they're good at playing a sport? Like, is it an appropriate way to treat people just because they're on a sports team that we're like throwing things at them and screaming You're at not, them? No, but and, that's like, not part of the press else. conference, Alice. Well, no, no, no. But I'm saying I think it ties into a similar issue of what we expect from sports stars. Like, uh, the amount of abuse that we expect them to be subjected to without complaining about it. You know, and, and I think that that's a fair converse and an interesting conversation to I have. I think that, that the, 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 the deal you've got with the league and with the local markets is that you'll have availability with the stars. And that means when the big team comes here, that, that, that local news outlets will have a chance, will have access to the players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that moves copy and that moves uh, while the media lasts. That moves, uh, you know, papers and and that gets people watching yeah. sports. On but TV. on that note, but- Naomi Osaka's thing where she's not doing the press availability has now probably gotten more press for the French Open. I don't think either of us would have even known the French Open was happening. I don't know what sport it is. It's also. tennis. <laughs> um, she's, uh, yeah, well, maybe, but still, the people have to play the game. And to, to have the sports people not, I mean, you can go up there. Like, there was a guy on um, the uh, Seahawks when we played the Seahawks. Uh, I was there for that one, I think. Wasn't I? 28-3? Yeah. No, it's not 28-3. That's the one where we came That's back. That's the Butler that? yes, interception. interception. Um, where uh, one of the, the guys on the other team, the big mean machine guy, wouldn't beast answer. mode. Yeah, beast mode. That's wouldn't... the one who interviewed Fauci. Right, right, right. Marshawn yes. Lynch. Marshawn yeah. Lynch, yeah. He just wouldn't answer any questions. He sat in there and just looked straight ahead, stone cold, for an hour. And he didn't give a <laughs> bleep. He was an a-hole. Yeah. He probably got fined, actually, for it. But, I mean, I, I think that that's... The, these guys know. The deal is, okay, you're in the NFL now, and you get this, 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 and this, but you have to do this promotion for us, and this promotion for the NFL, and this. And the teams probably say, we want you out there... We're doing community stuff, you know, every six weeks out there building playgrounds. And you, I mean, there are things that they ask you to do. And so, sorry if, I mean, you like the part of being the zoo animal 
when you're cashing the zoo animal check. That's good. <laughs> But the other crap, I know it probably, mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Well, that's the Piers Morgan mm-hmm. point, I guess, is like, this is, you want to be famous. This is to take the good with the bad. You know, you want to be, but I think in the case of athletes, it's a little different than Megan and Harry because Megan is, and Harry are just, I mean, like, they're doing like a Netflix show and a podcast and getting these like corporate gigs that aren't really jobs. You, whereas a, somebody who's just really good at a sport, like, you might just want to be the best in the world at tennis and you might not want to be the zoo animal, you know, like, I mean, I know that they do sign up for it to a degree and they're obviously taking the money, but I mean, I think in the case of sports, there are people who just really want to be really good at this sport, that they have a passion for the sport itself and they don't necessarily, I mean, I think that's Belichick, right? I mean, he's not an athlete, obviously, but I think Belichick likes winning football games. I don't think he cares about being the toast of the town and being famous, right? Like, right. So, you know, I think, I think it's fair to ask whether our expectations from sports stars are make sense. Well, you know, the other thing is is that they're almost all bad interviews. You know, we get, we didn't leave anything out there tonight. We gave it our all. You know, we played as a team. We, we we showed a lot of heart out there. We did our bit. It's like it, it's all dry cliches, but you're still getting them. You know, right. very. It's almost all dry cliches or something like that. But um, but uh, who knows? And there's some really nice guys. Like Tom Brady was really good and really nice to to the press and mm-hmm. really good on the street and just a great guy. And he takes crap too. So. I don't know, Alice. You know, once we do our first press junket uh, here, I mean, sorry, once you do our first press junket. <laughs> once I do. <laughs> here, exactly. After you. So when it comes to our fame, you get to cash the check and I get to do the You're the zoo animal. <laughs> I'm the zookeeper. I'm P.T. Barnum. You're the three-headed woman or whatever it is. Correct. All right. Speaking of that, <laughs> you okay, Alice? <laughs> get your hand away from your mouth. What are you doing? Okay. okay. So, uh, Kathleen Kingsbury, Alice, do you know who she is? No. She is an uh, op-ed editor of the New York Times. Maybe the op-ed editor. I'm not sure. But anyway, I just thought this was interesting. She spoke to somebody on uh, PBS about... She was asked about the New York Times being progressive. The guy said, obviously, it's known. The interviewer said, obviously, it's known. that The New York Times is progressive. And your, uh, the op-ed pages, of course, are also very, very progressive. Um, and so is that a concern for you being seen like that? She answers Kathleen Kingsbury, op-ed editor of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. She answers with this answer. This is proves something to us. Interesting. One of my earliest memories is having a show and tell in free school about going to the voting booth and uh, pulling the lever for Ronald Reagan. Oh, so she's not a progressive. No. Because in preschool... <laughs> she voted in the pretend election. She got out of her stroller and pulled the thing for Ronald Reagan. How did she know she was voting for Reagan? That, that's what she has. That's her counterweight. No, no, no. No, in preschool, I pulled the thing for Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I did, absolutely. She goes on. You know... Um, uh, just as the fact that I won a Pulitzer Prize for a series that called for a $15 minimum wage. God, that must have been just compelling reading. Can you imagine? 
my series on the minimum wage is about to drop tomorrow. It's a whole series of articles about it. <laughs> I don't and- understand what there is to say beyond I think there should be a $15 minimum wage. Better treatment for immigrant workers. That's why the Pulitzer people are like, Jesus, just give her the prize so the ends before she continues <laughs> the series. I, I say that. She says in better treatment for immigrants, she said, too. So she's a really good person. Oh, okay. So on one hand, she was evil, you know, as a preschooler. So she's capable of that thought. But also, she became a really good person fighting for the minimum wage with her series and uh, fighting for immigrants, which she won a Pulitzer Prize for. Oh. So there you go. So she's balanced in her mind. So, so what you're seeing in the paper. She can go to both sides. Right story because it's really irrelevant what my personal worldview is or even what the sections except of course when the paper's endorsing somebody right then i'd say it's relevant worldview is at the end of the day if we want a healthy thriving democracy people need to encounter views that they both agree with and disagree with and we'll just run those by the staffers and see if it's all right with them so that they don't uh, you know defenestrate another uh, senior level editor and then we'll do that this is incredible. What's great is that she doesn't think she believes us. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. No, I'm not a crazy liberal. There's a 1979, uh, 1982, I actually pulled a lever for Ronald Reagan. I know, I know. I don't think that it's entirely fair to suggest that we are a progressive organization, and I, I would push back on that. Um, we So the progressive organization, it's not only... The wall-to-wall big thinkers on the paper, with the exception mm-hmm. of maybe two on the op-ed pages, unless they're guest contributors, are all progressives. Well, the they have... No, like, Brett Stevens is not a progressive. Right, and doubt that. Uh, and, um, and, right, and Barry Weiss was there, and she was not really, in some ways, a progressive. And David Brooks has had days when he has not been a progressive. Right. But essentially, it is a coterie of progressives. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that on um, sort of very left-wing Twitter, like the kind of AOC Democratic Socialist Twitter, they uh, view the New York Times as a white supremacist paper. Right. Well, yes. They're absolute progressives. They're not nuclear woke. <laughs> a lot of them. Some are. I mean, right. remember, I mean, this is the, the, a lot of the people that work there now, I would say, are nuclear woke, which is why they're staffers, uh, staffers, right. which is why they're booting people and op-eds that they don't like. Right. But you're Monica Harris Buell or that's somebody I went to high school with. <laughs> uh, you're Mon- who? 1619 Project. Nicole Hannah Jones. Right. So she is somebody who writes is also an editor, I think. And I think I it's think fair so. to say that... And she's also Pulitzer winning. <laughs> I, so. They've all won Pulitzers, believe me. Believe me. I mean, so, the Pulitzers so, come from yeah. Columbia University. They walk them over. <laughs> so they... Uh, so, yeah, but to that group of people, the, like, sort of standard New York Times neoliberal fare is, yes, very um, establishment what they would consider to be conservative, basically. Right, and they also published a story about um, about a group of people who had concerns about having young kids have surgeries to change their genders. So that right there, you're going to lose the wokest wokes right there. Right. Because you don't countenance that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's hate. That's murder, actually, is what that is. We are not representative of any political party. 
No? No political party. No. Not any particular par- mm-hmm. party. Uh, we'll endorse only Democrats constantly, but that's just a, that's a, a um, coincidence. We had no idea. Especially. Uh, didn't the Times endorse two Democratic women for president? Um, or was yes, it the Globe? Uh, I thought it was the Times. Didn't they do Warren in like Klobuchar or something? Um, we are running viewpoints. For instance, last summer we ran this um, very thoughtful piece by Jeffrey Rosen, who you'll remember was the deputy attorney general for Donald Trump, on why we needed the death penalty. And we are trying to do that. Is that the exception that proves the rule? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we run... We, we were on conservatives all the time with op-eds. We just wrote, we just ran one last year. Not every day. Uh, I can give you countless examples from the last month of viewpoints that run. The Times was knee deep in the Russiagate stuff. They were knee, they were happy to propagate the falsehoods about the um, tax for- returns, right. about all sorts of things. So it's not just certainly the news pages. What they chose to cover were all agenda-driven items. Yeah. What they chose to ignore, also all agenda-driven items. Mm-hmm. The Times, these are not... People tell me it's a great paper, and I haven't had the hard copy since, like, 1987, but I find them ridiculously biased constantly. Not as bad as the AP. That being said, I think a lot of people, like, a lot of liberals are still mad at them because they were really the first mainstream source that covered the Hillary Clinton email thing in depth. And so that gave that a lot of credence that people on the left obviously didn't want that narrative to have. The email as in having her own server, not the WikiLeaks all the found emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that, but in terms of, you know, the fact that she had run her own email server Mm -hmm. and gotten rid of all the records of all her government emails essentially during that time and you know they were the first people to really cover that and point out how unusual that that was in the mainstream media and and you know i think people on the left still point to that as like one of their failures as a liberal paper because they want it to be a liberal paper and they don't think it's liberal enough clearly right no doubt and there's i think probably lots of reasons for that one is sometimes Mm-hmm. First, Hillary was in a primary, right? But also, um, I don't know how much of the stuff was handed off to them, or or um, that they knew that the Republicans may have had some. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, but sometimes think- you can't sit on everything, and sometimes there are actual reporters there. Well, right, and I think that the not sitting on everything is important. That I think they. You know, going into 2016, I think that most liberals felt that Hillary Clinton was a shoe in both because there was nobody important pressing her in the primary and because the Republicans looked like they were going to and then ultimately did select Donald Trump, who they felt was absolutely um, impossible to lose to. So I think they thought that was a safe bet. We'll just cover this email thing, which clearly is a problem, is a scandal Mm, in a sober way. Great point, Dills. She's going to win anyway. We can say we were honest and good. You know, Bernie Sanders said in the primary debate, I'm sick and tired of hearing about her damn emails. And, you know, then it's going to be a forgotten issue because she's going to beat Trump anyway, because how could she not? And Mm. 
it was a way for them to say like, well, we were honest, you know, we covered it and not have it cause any harm, they thought. But but ultimately, I think it did lend credence to the storyline. And then right before the election, when Huma's laptop turned up a bunch of emails after Anthony Weiner's sexting problem, I th- I think that, that that played in because they'd already given credence to the story. And I think they learned their lesson. And that's why there was the, essentially the news blackout on the Hunter Biden laptop scandal in 2020 because they weren't going to make that mistake right. again. Yeah, no doubt. It also, it's very possible. It's definitely a factor also that the team Hillary probably jerked around a bunch of the reporters a lot. Mm-hmm. And they said enough of this. But um, yeah, that is very interesting. That's the same mindset, of course, as the FBI freelancing about uh, the team Trump mm-hmm. and going and pursuing him and, and you know, chasing down all these uh, Carter Page and people like that saying, yeah, we'll screw around here. She's going to win. This will be this will be broomed, and so let's do what we can right now to harass this guy. Mm-hmm. See if we can to flip him because some of us think he's Russian, some of us just hate him. Uh, Kathleen, counter to the idea that we are running um, progressive pieces exclusively, and so you know that's really what I'm trying to achieve every day uh, because I think it's really important. I think that. We saw 74 million people vote for Donald Trump and Mike Pence in the last election. And for us to have um, real dialogue with those people who are still living in our country, we need to be able to um, publish pieces that speak to them, too. Yeah, you might need to be able to do it, but you're not doing it. Doesn't that just give the store away right there, though, the fact that she says... Well, there's these 74 million people that are still living in the country and we mm-hmm. have to be able to speak to them too. That just shows that by yes. she knows deep down that by default, they're absolutely on the other team. Oh, yes. Yes. We've got to also service the opposition. <laughs> yes. We have to also speak to people, the half of the country that voted for Donald Trump. So we do have to somehow, I know it's difficult, but we do have to try to reach them in some way, do something that like speaks to them <laughs> white trash by newspapers too <laughs> so i mean it, is... it's very revelatory is it <laughs> i guess so what is revelatory like it means it's revealing really i didn't know that okay man i gotta tell you alice i feel kind of frazzled here i think i have a uh a rib hangover i ate that those uh ribs that i made in the crock pot last mm-hmm. night late and i think it screwed me and also I, I my i just woke up early today because the dogs wanted to go out and they couldn't unwake up so i'm not saying i'm tired i'm just saying so so the, here's my point is that then you very nicely allowed me to nap which was great so mm-hmm. i could get recharged but my nap was tumultuous it was tumultuous and I don't, I'm not one of these people, Allison. If you started to do this, I'd probably be mad at you. <laughs> You're going to tell me about a dream? I am. Okay. And you're involved in it. So this nap, which lasted an hour, mm-hmm. I'm, I go to sleep. I have podcasts on, whatever. I go to sleep or tr- try to. And uh, suddenly I'm, I get a call from Barack Obama, who's doing a book tour. Oh. And he is doing a book tour. I'm like, oh my goodness. This is Barack Obama. And immediately, like, I, we got to record this. We got to record this. Immediately, I'm angry at you. 
then this is this would happen too actually and i'm like can you record it how do we record it and you're like oh i'll try to and you try to jerry rig something and whatever jerry rig something and and whatever and it's not working and then he drops and i'm like alice can you do this and i'm very angry at you for this and i'm through during this dream i'm upset in the dream and then he and, and i'm like gd i can't believe i'm mad i'm mad i can't believe obama come calling and he can't whatever and then he says and then obama's talking and he says and i said okay i'm back i'm back and he says you know, when when we show the worst of ourselves here, sometimes it's it's a very negative thing for our country. And we've had a lot of people and a lot of things. And I'm like, he's coming at me because I have a tantrum because I'm just trying to get this thing working. And I'm angry and I'm yelling and I'm shouting back at him. And he's not listening. And I'm saying, hey, yes, but can I ask you, Mr. President, can I ask you something? And he's still not listening to me, Alice. Mm-hmm. And I wake up <laughs> upset with him still talking because he was on the Conan O'Brien co- podcast talking to Conan O'Brien. And in my dream, he's talking but ignoring me. <laughs> so I'm up, I woke up upset. And I was mad at you too. <laughs> if he calls out, I hope you'll be ready. I'll be ready. Because what happened in my dream cannot be allowed to happen. So anyway, that's like I, I very rarely ever get... The nap never works for me. Mm-hmm. So this one today, I I was unconscious in as much as I'm allowed to be, I guess. But yeah. I w- it was in total conflict for 43 minutes or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should right now, while you're thinking about it, get like a voice recorder, like a phone call recorder app on your phone. Do you have one of those? Wouldn't it be odd for him to call me when I haven't tried to book him? <laughs> Would be. But, you know, just be ready. I just case. hit a number of uh, seven numbers. Came well, up with maybe you. he's a burn barrel listener. Let's, I don't know. Let's go. Uh, it was interesting that poor in that actual podcast how sycophantic Conan was to the point where Obama was uncomfortable with it. He was. <laughs> Did he like, ask to drink him in? Essentially. Oh yeah. No. I just gotta say how how wonderful this is. It's cathartic this is for me. Jeez, stop it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh. Um. So Alice. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna hit a little bit of, and this is just audio that I like here. I just dipped in and out of Bill Maher. Okay. Bill Maher has Nicol, Nick, uh, Nicholas Kristoff on. Nicholas Kristoff is a author guy, news guy, probably New York Times guy. He has won two Pulitzers himself. He's one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And it, I was just shocked at what was happening here because he essentially is doing both sides with Palestine and Israel. Saying, okay. yes, the Palestinians shouldn't attack, but the Israelis shouldn't. Bill Maher goes off oh, in this. Speaking of which, did you see that the New York Times ran all these pictures of all the Palestinian kids that were killed and one of them turned out to be like a stock image of like cute Muslim child or something? Not surprised. Not a person at all. So good fact checking, Not surprised. Well, you know what? Uh, but on the other hand, the op-ed editor did vote for Ronald Reagan when she was two. So, so perfect. <sighs> Clearly within Israel, then uh, Arab citizens uh, obviously vote. They can serve in the Knesset. Uh, they can be judges. Uh, the Some of the most robust organizations speaking up for Palestinians are organizations like B'Tselem, the human rights organization. But, you know, I don't think that's a defense for Israel uh, uh, engaging in possible war crimes in Gaza uh, or... Uh, engaging. Well, Gaza fired 4,000 rockets into Israel. What would you say Israel should have done instead of what they did? So, how I mean, could you consensus- not commit 
So, I mean, international lawyers are pretty clear that they have a right to defend themselves. They have a right to respond to at military targets. But there was a sense that the response uh, was probably a war crime because it did not sufficiently avoid civilian casualties. Uh, but and they purposely not... put the rockets in civilian places. That's their yeah. yeah. Well, likewise, Israel's defense ministry is in a civilian area. I mean, both sides do this partly because they're crowded. Both sides do this. Mm countries. I do think that Hamas particularly does this, and I think that's a war crime in the part of Hamas. And clearly, Hamas is engaging in war crimes when it shells. War is a crime. I, I mean, it seems like a weapons. But I don't, don't know how else you respond to when you have four. I mean, what if Canada? So now from here on, Bill goes off in this tangent. I didn't know he had it in him. I don't know mm -hmm. what's going on here. I don't know. He was a I, I'm just surprised to hear this out of an otherwise progressive. <laughs> Fired 4,000 rockets into America or Mexico, where which is an even better analogy because we actually did steal the land from Mexico. Uh, I would submit that Israel did not steal anybody's land. This is another thing I've heard in the last couple of weeks, words like occupiers and colonizers and apartheid, which I don't think people understand the history there. There, there the Jews have been in that area of the world since about 1200 B.C., way before the first Muslim or Arab walked the earth, a thousand years before. What is this idiotic crowd clapping for? Like, what are their core principles that those people are clapping for this? This is not what that crowd believes. His audience are wokesters. They must be like... Uh, do we? It sounds like he said they are he and they aren't. I mean, I think that there is an element um, to Mars' particular brand of politics, where especially because he's extremely secular and extremely sort of anti-religious. Yes, uh, that 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 in the case of the Israel-Palestine thing makes him be on the side of Israel because Israel is a much more secular state, obviously, than most of the Middle East. I mean, obviously, it's run by Jewish people, but. It's um, it's much more like I mean, like they allow gay people in Israel, and like I mean, Israel is much more progressive well, in that sense, in in on those types of okay, issues in terms okay. of secularity and freedom of religion than you know. Say, I also Saudi think that he Arabia probably considers Islamofascism something distasteful. Right. I mean, yeah, he he doesn't like Islam. I I don't think he's for any form of religious extremism. I mean, Jerusalem was their capital. Okay, I, so if it's just about who got there first, it's, it's not even close. There have been a continuous Jewish presence. Yes, the, the Jews were the ones who were occupied by everybody. The Romans took over at some point, and then the Persians and the Byzantines, and then the Ottomans. So, yes, there was colonization going on there. Beginning in the 20th, 19th century, they started to return to Palestine which was not never an Arab country. There was never a country called Palestine that was a distinct Arab country. And yes, there was a, a, a problem there because there was two people who wanted to share the land, which is why the UN in 1947 said, okay, we're going to partition it. So there you go. That is it. I'm just surprised to hear it from him. I, yeah, I'm I mean, I guess I'm not as surprised because I... 
I think that it's a very particular brand of liberalism, this sort of and it's it's a brand of liberalism that's becoming more and more outdated in today's Democratic Party, clearly, which is why Mar has such a break from them. But it's a brand I certainly saw a lot of growing up in Lexington, where there are a lot of Jewish progressives in Lexington. And a lot of them are very pro-Israel. I mean, I went to high school with kids who went and served in the IDF after high school, you know, hmm. and and you know, made use of their Israeli citizenship. That, so, I mean, and I think that Israel is, um, for the most part, a more liberal country in the sense of liberal values, the way like Dave Rubin or Bill Maher would use that term, liberal values, um, than, than the surrounding people would want to make it be. And I think that that's a big factor. I, and um, yeah, I mean, most of the Jewish pro- Progressives that I went to high school with were were very pro Israel, but I don't know, um, I don't know if that's changed now. Um, certainly, liberalism has changed a lot in the last like twenty years, so so I don't know um, to what degree that's still true. But but I think that that's, I mean that's the type of liberalism that I knew about growing up, that, you know, and and certainly like. I think it's a, it's a brand of liberalism that I can see eye to eye with and understand much more than than what we're seeing now. Right. Okay. So, um, in the last bit of audio, I just have is you know you you, you hear about all of these the high level high schools in New York. I forgot mm-hmm. they're called high something high schools in New York. Like the is it the Jefferson High School? There's a couple right. of them anyway that, that are really really good schools. That really that propel these kids out to great colleges, Ivy League colleges, and futures filled with success, etc. Yeah. And in since the black enrollment rates have gotten, and brown enrollment rates have cratered, people are getting rid of the exams. These exams, right? As get, long as you don't count Asian kids as minorities, then that's true. Exactly. Yeah. So they want to get rid of the exams because they want to. They're looking for equity. Well, I, I you just never hear. And I'm going to try to get this guy on. This is Kenny Zhu. He's an author, and he's just uh, he writes about this stuff. Uh, he talks about what exactly has been happening and why, at one point, that the black and brown uh, enrollment rate was robust, and now it is no, no, no. Now it is not. The specialized high schools in New York City used to be significantly black and Hispanic. Bronx Science used to be 35% black and Hispanic. Brooklyn Tech used to be 50% black and Hispanic. And they were, of course, the top high schools in New York City at the time and still basically are. But what happened in the 90s was the black and Hispanic population at these schools just dissipated. Over the course of a decade, they just dissipated and they never returned and they were replaced to a large extent by Asian Americans. But this was not because of the specialized high school exam. The specialized high school exam was there when black and Hispanics got in at a rate of 50%. This is because the New York City public school system for blacks and Hispanics has dramatically failed its own population, its own demographic population. And I think that underlying this admissions fight is a larger fight really about reforms within the New York City public education community. So there you go. And I guess that would be the next entree we'll do is into what has destroyed the public schools in New York. And I think probably the unions are something that we will talk about in our uh, down the road a little bit. Hopefully we'll get Kenny Zhu on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the unions are a big piece. I think a lot of this like 
woke agenda stuff taking over the schools is a big piece. They're much more concerned with crazy things like uh, this story we'll touch on in a minute about the Dalton uh, education uh, that they're giving little kids about their bodies. But um, but I, I want to touch on this quickly because I find this so interesting, this whole thing around the schools, because a few, a few minutes ago, if I recall, we were all stopping Asian hate and talking about how Asian people in the United States are demonized and mistreated and downtrodden and subject to all this hatred. Um, a lot of which doesn't seem to be coming from white supremacists per se, the way we traditionally think of them, at least. Uh, but that being said, um, it's interesting that this moment in time is going hand in hand with this uh, desire to dismantle the systems in education that have really allowed lots and lots of Asian American kids to be successful, mm -hmm. you know, in spite of whatever biases people might have against them, you know, and certainly I think that this is a stereotype that gets thrown at Asian kids a lot that, um, that, you know, that they just do well in school, that they're not creative and they don't have good personalities. And I <laughs> think that that's something that came out. It certainly came out when, you know, Harvard was being sued uh, for their admissions policy being detrimental to Asian kids that, um, you know, their their sort of line about it was like, well, we're not just looking at test scores. We're looking at the whole person. And mm -hmm. that's why fewer Asian kids get in proportionally. Like, so what are you saying about Asian kids' personalities then, if that's what you're saying? You're saying that they're, like, less interesting uh, people with less diverse interests. They just do well in school and play violin. Is that what you're saying about them when you when you say that we can't just look at their test scores? You know, and, and I think that that's a stereotype that exists in the education system right now because a lot of Asian kids do do really well on standardized tests. Yes, well, and, and, there's and a, a lot them of them also are, uh, work for the family business and um mm -hmm. and working hard for the family business and you know getting good at some of those other things and staying extra for, for math etc is uh less noble than joining the blm right and woke. And you, you need to have a woke resume it's, it looks good right and i think that you know part of what's happening in this whole thing is that there. I mean, certainly there have been structural disadvantages to Asian kids in terms of like, you know, growing up in households that maybe don't speak English as a first language in terms of people, you know, by having biases against them in the admissions process. And that standardized testing has really allowed those kids through dint of hard work and natural talent to overcome those barriers and do really, really mm -hmm. well and get into these high-performing high schools. Like, I think Jefferson is the one in um, Loudoun County, Virginia. Is that where that oh, is? Oh, is it? Okay. Um, and then, like, they're saying here, like, Bronx Science and stuff in these schools in New York. So, and that there is a sense of resentment toward these Asian kids that have done really well. And at the same time, you know, we have NPR published this week, this whole article about how like the model minority thing is a myth and Asians are actually very, very diverse. And there's Asians that do well and Asians that don't do well. That, um, that is just, I mean, the graphs that they put on this thing are just insane. They're saying like, well, Asian Americans aren't a monolith. Okay, great. We know that. Like, we know there's Southeast Asians, there's Cambodians. Like, mm -hmm. you worked in Lowell. You knew a lot of Cambodians in Lowell. And certainly, like, a lot of them are not, like, engineers. 
they're coming from less probably family wealth and stuff. And and so, yes, they're a diverse group. But then they publish this chart like, oh, well, Asians have the biggest income disparities within the group, you know, that there is the biggest gap amongst Asian people between like the highest earning Asians and the lowest earning Asians. What they leave out is that so they publish this graph with all the different groups of Asians. They like split them up into what countries they come from and their median household income in the United States. And then what they leave out is that the only one of all those ethnic groups, the diverse Asian ethnic groups, the uh, the only one of all those groups that actually has an average household income lower than white average household income is the Burmese. And they're not much lower. So it's like you're not dismantling any myth. They they do have Asian people do have a higher household income than every other ethnic mm-hmm. group in the United States. This is just true. And and it presents a problem for woke ideology because anything you can say about like internal biases and you know these barriers and structural problems and people not liking people who don't look like them you can also say it about Asians those things also exist for Asian people all those barriers that exist for all these other people not the legacy of slavery certainly but for all these at least not here right right not here but but the legacy of American slavery and the mm-hmm. particular things that come along with that, that you can't say that. But but this presents a really big problem for people who want to sit around analyzing which ethnic groups do well and which don't. A group that right. includes white supremacists and woke people both want to sit around parsing which group of people does better than another group. And this presents a really big problem, which is why you have NPR publishing charts like this that are completely misleading about how Asian Americans do in our society. And and it it just it boggles my mind how they cannot see that. And, and that's why I think they want to get rid of these tests and throw them all out because they look at the test scores and they say there's a racism problem happening here in the test. We have to get rid of the test as though getting rid of the test solves the racism problem. The the test itself solved the racism problem for a lot of kids. It allowed kids as individuals who worked hard and performed well to to break out of the boxes that Mm -hmm. the stereotypes and the structural barriers put on them. You know, these these exams and these sort of race blind tools allowed kids to break out of institutions that did have structural barriers. So the idea now that we need to get rid of the test because the test itself is racist is a, a, a concept that um, that doesn't hold up to scrutiny when you look at how Asian kids do on these tests, which is why they want to get rid of them, because it it hurts the whole woke ideology to have Asian kids out there outperforming how they're supposed to do with all the racism that they face, you know, and, and I think Americans and Asian Americans do face, you know, certain types of racism. Absolutely. The same way lots of people face racism from time to time in this country. I mean, Asians, certainly we put Japanese people in camps in our, in, you know, mm-hmm. our parents' lifetimes. That's insane. So uh, so we talk about the, you know, structural barriers. We took people's houses and put them in camps. That's all right. And of course, there was the Exclusion Act and the Geary Act. Right. And all so, sorts of things that, that were that were law. At, so at but time. if your position in life, which it is, if you're like a woke critical race theory person, is that these structural barriers 
is what leads to minorities not doing as well in this country. And Asians keep for some reason doing well, even though they've clearly had structural barriers as a lot of other people have. Now your ideology has a problem, which is why, you know, Asian people exist in this sort of half space between being a minority and between being super white, according to the woke, you know, hierarchy of oppression. I think that it's, I think that it's very, very revealing about the woke movement, how they treat Asian kids, particularly in the conversations surrounding education. Right, right. And, and, and you're right, like the top, the top earning median income demographics, I, I don't think white, whites are in the top three. I think it's Indian Americans, like Taiwanese Americans. I think it's if you're gonna virtually every Asian group. I mean, they break it down by country here, but like Indian, Taiwanese, Filipino, Indonesian, Pakistani, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, Bangladeshi, Thai, Vietnamese, Hmong, Cambodian, Samoan, Laotian, like whites do worse than all of them in household income. So it's right. It's messy. It is messy, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know why it's that way. I think that it's a complicated issue with a lot of factors that go into it. Uh, but, you know, clearly clearly the Oppression Olympics explanation for why people do well and don't do well, that it's all like some mysterious white supremacy floating in the air, doesn't work when it comes to Asian people. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? So, <laughs> so, there's like, so they have a problem now Uh-oh. with with the ideology, which is why we need just need to throw out the test and stop talking about it. Right, which is, uh, yes, this idea of... Um of uh you know all of the asian hate and abuse as well and right. uh, you know uh, that also bears some inconvenient truths for the left but that is where we are alice mm. that is where we are oh i didn't do the dalton story but you're good we'll okay we'll do it another day anyway it's been great happy memorial day we hope you took some time happy memorial day you heathen we hope you took some it's time happy to for you because you waged war on the local market think about the fallen um as we did this morning i cried at the parade embarrassed all the kids um anyway you can find us on twitter where the burn barrel pod on twitter burn barrel podcast.com burn barrel podcast at gmail.com have you turned my mic off yet no (laughs) okay just checking we'll talk to you later guys thank you so much Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.